Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Jared Pulliam begins this Monday morning like many mornings. He's weighing out 600 pounds of malt. That's the grain used to make beer. These specialty malts add the specific flavor profiles that we're looking for in each beer. And so they'll always be different depending Jared on Jared and Ann Cho are co-owners of Lost Generation, a microbrewery in Washington, D.C. They're also married. And they're showing me around where they make their signature ales, pilsners, and lagers, and then seal them into cans. When we first opened, we were kind of the neighborhood bar, so can seals weren't quite as prominent. But now that we're uh, making a name for ourselves as a great brewery, then a lot more can seals are starting to go out the door. So. Anne and Jared opened the brewery less than a year ago in a former Nabisco factory that's 120 years old. And today, they're getting started on a batch of one of their original creations, a sour ale made with passion fruit. The hopper, so that it can go through the mill and get crushed. We have to open up the husks of the malt, so that way it can extract the maximum amount of water from it. Lost Generation is part of a wave of small businesses that have opened in the U.S. in the last few years. You might imagine the pandemic would have put a damper on entrepreneurs, but it's actually the opposite. In 2022 alone, more than 5 million small businesses were registered. That's up 42% from pre-pandemic levels. Bloomberg's Enda Curran dug into why small businesses are having a moment and the challenges owners are facing in this uncertain economy. Ultimately, at the core of any successful economy is innovation and a willingness to take on risk. And lots of people I spoke to said they haven't seen this kind of the scale of ambition for some time in the US economy. We'll hear more from Enda in just a bit. And later on, we'll talk to a bakery owner who just entered a new chapter with her business. It is a very scary time, but it's also a very exciting time. We've been wanting our own space for a very long time. And we were you know, very lucky to grow during the pandemic. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, the pandemic small business boom. The taproom in the Lost Generation Brewery is equal parts 1920s and 2020s. You can see the original bones of the building everywhere. Original cathedral wooden ceilings, um, original interior exposed brick. Um, all we really and then there are the contemporary features, a vibrant mural by a local artist and industrial-grade brewing machinery that you can see through a floor-to-ceiling glass wall in the back of the taproom. Jared and Ann say the lost generation theme is a nod to the past and to their own business story. The lost generation is a reference to the 
art movement of the 1920s and 30s uh, with Hemingway, Fitzgerald. They found that the art and inspiration uh, from where they were at, you know, whether it be New York or the Midwest or anything like that, was lacking in their time period and it wasn't speaking to them. So they went out to places that had thriving artistic inspiration to really find themselves. And that's how um, Ann and I did it as well. They'd been planning to open this brewery for more than a decade, building on the experience they'd gain in the industry. They were set to begin work in early 2020. So, yeah, you can probably guess where this is heading. We were supposed to um, sign our lease in March of that year, and then the landlord, uh, their representative took a vacation, so they asked if we could push back to April 1st for signing the lease. And we said, yes, you know, we can wait two weeks, it's fine. And then the pandemic hit, and um, the landlord was like, hey, so we're still good for April 1st, right? And, uh, you know, <laughs> we had never seen anything like this before, and it was all of, it's our entire life savings, and so we, we backed away, you know, cautiously, and then we honestly weren't certain that we'd ever revisit this again, since, you know, there's so many businesses in the hospitality industry were just struggling so hard during that period of time, and it was just a very rough thing to watch. A year later, they did revisit it and they secured the location, but banks were much more cautious about lending money to restaurants and bars. And they weren't giving loans anymore to those types of businesses. So we fought bank after bank after bank looking for anyone who would extend a loan. And and we did find a a wonderful bank that did. Um, However, the down payment had doubled um, from what it was pre-pandemic. And why did they tell you? Was it just more risk? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, like, you know, going into the pandemic, we were more like a middle-aged driver for a car insurance company. And coming out, we were now a 16-year-old with a red car. Um, and so just, yeah, they, I mean, you could just see the bankers just hear our thing and say, hey, that's a great business plan. You have so much experience. But I'm sorry. Like, I ran it up the flagpole. We're just not doing that industry right now. And, and in fairness, I mean, there were still so many of the restaurants and bars that were still had not yet fully defaulted or anything. And so we were coming out of the pandemic. They hadn't even seen who was or wasn't going to survive. And so, like, I get it, but it did make it very tough for us to actually solidify a loan. But um, obviously, we were able to. It cost us more. The, we had to really scrounge our life savings and dig into some pots that we promised we would never would. <laughs> um, but we made it work. Ann and Jared always knew that opening a brewery would require hefty upfront costs. First, there's the machinery. The brew house behind that glass wall in the back is full of enormous tanks for mashing, boiling, and fermenting the grain. There's also the canning operation for to-go beer, which was a condition of their loan in case COVID shut down their taproom. Then there are the raw materials like grain and hops that come from all over. Some of it comes from the Pacific Northwest, like Oregon, but also from as far away as Germany and New Zealand. But on top of all that, there are the economic challenges you can't plan for. So we had over-budgeted and overestimated to make sure that we were covering our costs, and yet because of supply chain issues, because of you know things that were happening post-pandemic, it was more challenging and then shipping things, freight and all of that became much, much more difficult. And so a $20,000 freight cost suddenly becomes almost $40,000. And so it's like... Despite the false starts and high costs, 
Jared and Ann say the business in its first year is doing better than they expected. Their staff of 10 even got a pay raise this summer. We are very lucky. Um, honestly, we've exceeded projections. We Usually most businesses expect to lose money within the first year, and we are not in that position. Yeah, and we've even had quite a few Saturdays where she'll send me outside and I have to start being the doorman because <laughs> we want to make sure that we don't go over capacity. I mean, a place will just be absolutely packed. So that's the story of one microbrewery in D.C. But now let's take a look at the bigger picture and why small businesses like Lost Generation are popping up in record numbers. And that's where Bloomberg's Enda Curran comes back into the picture. The last time Enda was here, we were talking about President Biden's industrial policy, how he's trying to bring big business and manufacturing back to the U.S., Enda says it's actually small businesses that are the backbone of the economy. It's kind of one of the untold stories almost of the U.S. economy over the past few years. Everybody built up their savings during the pandemic thanks to uh, the fiscal stimulus and, and money that they were saving anyway. And, you know, another factor in all of this is just the ease of startups. Nowadays, you know, there are websites out there offering you to set up an e-commerce portal in, you know, a matter of half an hour to hours. You can be up and running in a short time. And by the way, instead of paying for the expensive MBA, you just go on YouTube and you watch some online program or course or you listen to somebody and you get up and running. This is what's happening out there. Then throw in the general influence world that we're in now, the Elon Musks of the world. Everybody wants to be the next Elon Musk. And that's great. That's ambition. That's what drives economies. But there is absolutely a point that with the pandemic changing work practices the way it has, even with the return to office underway. But broadly speaking, people realize I don't need to commute to have a job. I don't need to live in the city center. And you know what? A laptop on a home dining room table, I can do so much more anyway. So they're taking chances. They're taking risks with ideas that they once had rather than necessarily maybe say the only route for me in life is the nine to five kind of schlep. They're having a look at what their options are. So it is definitely part of the mix that the mindset has shifted a bit and a lot of it is down to the pandemic. Enda says small businesses are now powering the U.S. economy in a way we haven't seen for a long time. It is one of the biggest drivers of economic growth in the U.S. Of the country's 30 million small companies, they have created more than two thirds of the new jobs created in the US between 1995 and 2021. These small companies, they really are one of the biggest bulwarks of the jobs market in America. And what do we know about the kinds of businesses they are? What are they making? What are they selling? It's across the spectrum of activities, Wes. I spoke to one company, for example, who's in the business of selling graduation mementos. That might be a school ring or a school hoodie, for instance. These are the kind of businesses that operate at the heart of your local community. It could be anything from the bakery up to increasingly online or e-commerce. That's obviously a whole new opportunity for people whereby they'd see an opportunity to sell products online or sell their services online. That's giving people a new outlet. And is it less expensive to start a business than it used to be? Well, here's where you get into the trade-offs. I mean, certainly there's an ease of setting up a business, that's for sure. As we just spoke about, you've got all this knowledge online and, of course, the, the process is much smoother than it was. But this is where we go back to the cost of doing business nowadays. I mean, you are dealing with the higher interest rates. You are dealing with the labor costs. So it depends on how advanced or where you are in that stream. If you have your own financing and you can kind of lean on yourself or your whatever kind of family workers you have to get the thing up and running, you're, you're okay. But if you really need staff to walk in the door or if you really need a big loan, obviously that's expensive at the moment. When you look at a company like Amazon, where you just know you're going to find some version of what you want, and it's all easy to order, and it's going to come quickly, 
How can a small online commerce business even compete with that? Shipping costs, even people knowing that they exist. There's no doubt. I mean, that's the challenge, but there's a local aspect to it. There's a local appeal if you're in the local community or you're selling something that's related to the local community, like I mentioned to you earlier about the graduation mementos, that kind of thing. That market is out there and there's a hunger and an appetite for that amongst, say, communities around the country. But obviously, you know, if you are a small company and you want to go online against Amazon, well, uh, that's probably a David versus Goliath story. When we come back, what it takes for these small businesses to survive in this rocky economy. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. So we've heard how millions of new businesses are popping up all across the United States, but it's not always easy for them to survive in this unpredictable economy. I asked Enda what the numbers tell us about how many of these small businesses will actually make it. It's tough to track at the moment how many of these businesses will actually survive to what you might call being an established business. Say the 5 million established last year. It will take a few years to understand how many of them thrived, how many of them are employing staff the way you're saying and are, are bona fide business versus how many were someone's interesting idea on the couch with their laptop and they registered with the authorities on setting up this new business.com, right? It takes a while to figure that out because there is a high attrition rate, always has been. Uh, for example, at the moment, inflation is hurting these small business people. If you go to get a loan from your bank, it's expensive at the moment. The bank might not even want to give it to you. Then there are some other issues in the US. For example, demographics is a challenge, like a longer term structural challenge. There's really practical issues too, like childcare. You know, you can set up your business on your laptop, that's great. And then you want to go and do it and you realize you've got this problem with childcare, for example. And of course, the labor shortage that we all know about. So, you know, as I say to you, there is a headline and it's a very positive headline and it's real. But under the bonnet, there are a lot of complications that do weigh against um, some of these businesses properly maturing. So it's impossible to talk about employment in the U.S. without talking about health care because so many of us have our health care tied to jobs. And it's one of the things that workers want the most and employers have a hard time paying for because it's so expensive. How many of these small businesses can afford things like benefits, health care, 401k, these kinds of things that people expect? 
It's an expense, but if your business is getting up and running and it's successful, well then, uh, you know, the, the incentive is there, you want to have your staff and you want to pay the benefits. There are companies out there that specialise in bundling the services you need. So you, you need your payrolls, you need your health care, you need, you know, whatever it is for your staff. There are companies out there that do all of these services for small businesses. So you don't need to, uh, you know, hire your own, say, your own accountant or in-house kind of staff to handle the benefit side of it. You can make your own savings through outsourcing it to different companies who specialise in that. And that's one way companies can afford to manage this this side of it without having, of course, to have a, a full-time staff member processing benefits and payrolls and that kind of thing. Let's hear from another small business owner who's dealing with the kinds of challenges that Enda is talking about right now and has been all through the pandemic. Rose Avenue Bakery is also located here in D.C. They opened their doors in March of 2020, right as COVID lockdowns began. When you walk in, there's a foyer area. Um, On our left side is a rustic wall with some plants. My partner really wanted it to be minimalist, um, a little bit of modern, but a little bit homey as well. We have um, like a I first met co-owner Paula Wong late last year when we did an episode about the state of the economy. You might remember her talking about the high cost of ingredients like eggs and flour and more unusual ones like yuzu. Since last year, Rose Avenue Bakery moved out of their shared space and found a new home in a former Dunkin' Donuts location. I went by to check it out. Paula, great to see you again. Nice to see you. The first thing you notice when you get to the counter are all the different kinds of pastries, sweet and savory, that are displayed behind the glass. And it's a take on a Filipino street food that's like a spring-rolled wrap plantain with jackfruit. It features roasted plantains with brown sugar and a caramel glaze. Um, Paula says business is going well. Lots of customers from the old location have now become regulars at the new one. And she and her co-owner, Rose Wynn, have been able to offer more variety on the menu. At our previous location, we were only able to serve maybe two or three kinds of savory items. Now, half our weekend menu is savory items because it's very popular in D.C. Of course, brunch is this, like, epic thing um, on the weekend. So we do get a brunch rush. Um, we got to expand on our sweet menu as well. We still have our iconic donuts, like the passion fruit, pandan box sesame donut. Uh, and what are you selling these for? And how does it compare to, say, a year ago? Some of the items have maintained their price, like the cookies are at still at $3.25. We increased the donut prices by 25 cents each. The Queen of Mons have stayed also the same price, but our savory items, like the sandwiches, especially with bacon, we had to increase the price by a dollar or so, just because of how expensive meat can be. Paula says they've had to raise some prices in part because ingredients are more expensive, but also to meet other unexpected costs. It's been still challenging, especially because we've moved here and there's costs to moving and getting a new bakery up and running. Of course, our profit margins are a little slim. Because we're in a new space, the cost of utilities were not really anticipated at like because we were in a shared space before. When things break down, it's on us to fix. We had a lot of issues with our HVAC during the summer, so having somebody to look at that almost every week got very costly. One major cost of running a business like Rose Avenue is paying employees. There are six bakers in the back, three managers, and five part-time employees in the front of the house, plus 
Paula and her partner Rose. The earliest person comes in at 3 o'clock. Um, they start the day. They pull out all the donuts from the refrigerator that have been proofing overnight because our brioche dough does proof for several days. Then the bakers kind of trickle in between 3 and 4 and they bake off everything fresh every day. They fry the donuts fresh every day. Around 7 o'clock is when our front of the house starts coming and where they wipe down the table. I asked Paula how expanding the business has impacted her ability to pay these early risers a living wage. We're lucky that we've maintained the same ladies that were with us um, at our old location. But, you know, because of this big place and how busy we are now, we really need extra help back there. But unfortunately, it's been very hard to find um, help. Why are you having uh, trouble finding people? What's the big challenge that's getting in your way? I think because everything is so costly, everybody wants a little bit more money, which is, you know, normal (laughs) for sure. But because we are a small business, we can only afford salaries within our price range, obviously. So there is this competition with where we're going to get that money for salaries. And what sort of benefits are you able to offer? We have paid time off here. We also offer health benefits, which is not typical of the food industry. Uh, My partner and I don't make livable wages ourselves, and we're putting in our own personal money to keep this place afloat. So it is a very scary time, but it's also a very exciting time. We've been wanting our own space for a very long time, and we were you know, very lucky to grow during the pandemic. After the break, can this small business boom last? Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. One of the more surprising takeaways from this small business surge is who's actually starting these companies. Enda told me about two groups in particular who've made gains in entrepreneurship, women and black business owners. A payroll company called Gusto has been tracking these changes in business ownership over the years. They found that in 2021, 49% of new business owners were women. That's up from 29% since the start of the pandemic. And Black new business owners tripled from 3% in 2019 to 9% in 2021. 
women are being given a better opportunity to get in on this in the way that they haven't been in the past. The African-American community is also notably featuring and setting up these new businesses, and that is being welcomed as, you know, an example of where diversity is making some progress. But, you know, they're facing the same challenges as, as everybody else. That's That's the downside of all this. So obviously a long way to go there, but at least making some progress. And there is the argument that that's an opportunity for a group of entrepreneurs from a part of society that weren't getting in on the Small Business Act in the past. I asked Enda where all this goes from here, whether small businesses will keep opening at such a fast pace and whether they'll continue to be such a powerful economic engine. You know, there are open questions at the moment, given what's happened uh, with inflation. So there is an air of caution out there. And it's probably a feeling that, you know, the the boom will, will flatline at some point. But listening to people, though, they do say ultimately at the core of any successful economy is innovation and a willingness to take on risk. And lots of people I spoke to say they haven't seen this kind of the scale of ambition for some time in the US economy. Despite the challenges, it is an undeniable positive for any economy to have so many people willing to set up a new business and, of course, spur job creation. So right here, right now, I would say to you, this looks like a positive story with a lot of potential for the US and any other economy. But of course, who's to say what I would say to you maybe 12 months from now. For Paula Wong of Rose Avenue Bakery and Ann Cho of Lost Generation Brewery, the road ahead isn't certain. In business, large or small, it never is. But they're focusing on what brought them here in the first place, an idea and a community to serve. We get lots of messages from loyal customers who have told us during the pandemic this was their weekend treat. They waited by their computer for our pre-order selections, and now they love being able to come into the cafe. We are luckily in an area where people understand that raw materials have gone up, and so they're willing to support local business. And so they're willing to spend. These prices are to keep us afloat. You know, we don't ever try to be these multimillionaires, you know, we just want to do what we love and love what we do. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Vergolina. This episode was produced by senior producer Catherine Fink and Molly Nugent. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.